This is season one of the Constitutional Commons podcast. This season is called The Founders of the Constitution. Your host, Rob Nadelson, is a nationally known constitutional scholar and author whose research into the history and legal meaning of the Constitution has been cited repeatedly at the U.S. Supreme Court by both parties and by individual justices. In this podcast, you will learn about the lives of leading founders and their unique contributions to the Constitution. Hi, I'm Rob Nadelson, and welcome to part 13 in the Founders and the Constitution series. This part is about the Connecticut delegates. The other installments in the Founders and the Constitution series each covered one individual. This final installment covers Three, the extraordinary group who served as Connecticut's commissioners, delegates, to the 1787 Constitutional Convention. Early Connecticut was known as the Land of Steady Habits. The nickname reflected the state's culture. The people of Connecticut tended to be religious, sober, hardworking, self-controlled, and moderate. William Samuel Johnson, Oliver Ellsworth, and Roger Sherman, the three Connecticut delegates to the Constitutional Convention, were excellent representatives of that culture. On the contemporaneous political spectrum outlined in the first installment in this series, all three were centrists, that is, moderates. More than any other state delegation, they shared common goals. And more than any other state delegation, they worked in a coordinated fashion to achieve those common goals. William Samuel Johnson was born in Stratford, Connecticut on October 7, 1727, by the current calendar. Thus, he was nearly 60 when the convention met. He came from a financially comfortable family that valued learning. He developed a reputation as a classical scholar. He earned his bachelor's degree from Yale College at the age of 17, and three years later, both a master's from Yale and an honorary master's from Harvard. Moreover, his reputation was transoceanic. Oxford University in England awarded him an honorary master's when he was 29 and a doctorate 10 years later. As a young man, Johnson thought of following his father into the clergy, but he finally opted for the law. He became the first Connecticut lawyer able to support himself entirely from law practice. In 1766, the state hired him to argue a case on behalf of Connecticut before the Privy Council in London. The Privy Council served as the highest court for the British colonies. Johnson remained in England for four years and he traveled in high social circles, but he became disgusted with the incompetence and corruption of the British ministry. Despite his success as an advocate, Johnson was by nature a conciliator. America's final split from Britain was hard for him to accept, and he withdrew from public life. In 1779, however, he finally threw in his lot with the American cause. Three years later, Connecticut sent him to the Confederation Congress. 
Another delegate from Connecticut was Oliver Ellsworth. He was born on April 29, 1745. So during the convention, he was 42 years old. He attended Yale College, but left after two years. Some have suggested disciplinary reasons. If so, the problem didn't last. Ellsworth soon enrolled at the College of New Jersey, now Princeton, from which he graduated in 1766. Like Johnson, he first considered the ministry, but settled on the law. Ellsworth's energy seems to have been inexhaustible, and he seems to have applied himself with great efficiency. He built the busiest law practice in the state. He served in a succession of political offices, including the state council, which was the upper house of the state legislature. He served there from 1779 to 1785. The council made good use of his legal talent, for it also acted as the state's highest court. In later years, a congressional colleague said of Ellsworth that he has a head that works with the precision of a mill. The third Connecticut delegate was Roger Sherman. Sherman didn't have Johnson's or Ellsworth's fine educations, but he was even more of a dynamo, and his roaring energy was channeled by a fine mind and good judgment. Thomas Jefferson once remarked of Sherman, he never said a foolish thing in his life. Sherman was born on April 19, 1721, again by the current calendar, one of seven children of a farmer and cobbler. As a young man, he opened a store in New Milford, Connecticut. He later added a branch store in New Haven. As a side to his mercantile business, he took up cobbling. He discovered he had a talent for mathematics and thus for astronomy. This encouraged him to publish an almanac. His math skills also drew him to surveying, so he taught himself that skill. He became a paid surveyor. Surveying opened suggestions for land speculation, for which he also showed an aptitude. As if all of this wasn't enough, he decided to add yet another career, the law. To study law, Sherman needed a mentor. He chose William Samuel Johnson. In 1754, Sherman was admitted to the bar and his law practice prospered. He also was successful in his efforts to propagate the human race. His first marriage produced seven children, his second produced eight. The last child, the 15th, was fathered when he was 61 years old. If you listen to the previous installment in this series, you may be struck by some parallels between the careers of Roger Sherman and Benjamin Franklin. Sherman couldn't quite match Franklin's genius, who could? But both came from humble, uneducated beginnings to pursue many-sided careers rewarded with one triumph after another. Like Franklin, Sherman eventually turned his businesses over to the management of others, and he devoted the rest of his life to public service. He was elected to the upper house of the state legislature, where he served for 1766 all the way to 1785. He was elected to the Continental Congress, served from 1774 to 1781, and to the Confederation Congress in 1784. Like Franklin also, he was a member of the committee that oversaw 
Jefferson's drafting of the Declaration of Independence. When Sherman attended the Constitutional Convention, he was 66 years old and the mayor of New Haven. A careful review of the convention records reveals that the three Connecticut delegates worked in coordinated fashion. The three evidently caucused regularly. Johnson's personal personality and standing were such that he probably presided at those caucuses. But on the convention floor, Sherman most commonly spoke for the group, although Ellsworth and Johnson contributed frequently as well. The Connecticut delegates' most important common goals were to create a system that first featured a competent central government, second was limited to specified powers, with third, the states retaining jurisdiction on all other subjects and able to defend themselves against the central government. The Connecticut commissioners were able to obtain their goals for two principal reasons. First, both Ellsworth and Johnson were conciliators, which encouraged other delegates to place them in influential positions. The convention elected Oliver Ellsworth to the Convention of Detail, which produced the Constitution's first draft. It also placed him on Franklin's Grand Committee, which proposed the famous Connecticut Compromise, that is, representation in the Senate by state and in the House of Representatives, mostly by population. Then the convention elected William Samuel Johnson to, share the, to chair the five-man committee of style, which prepared the Constitution's final draft. The other reason the Connecticut delegates achieved their goals was their will willingness and skill in proposing moderate solutions and mutually reinforcing each other. For example, Sherman made the first motion to specifically list the federal government's powers. This motion didn't succeed at first, but eventually the Committee of Detail, of which Oliver Ellsworth was a member, adopted it. The convention proceedings of June 29th and 30th exemplify the Connecticut tag team at work. On the 29th, William Samuel Johnson delivered a speech in which he argued that the Constitution should recognize the states as both groups of individuals and as separate political societies in their own right. Next, Oliver Ellsworth described this system as partly national and partly federal. This is a characterization that James Madison borrowed in number 39 of the Federalist, and which people normally attribute to Madison, but it originated with Ellsworth. On the 30th of June, Oliver Ellsworth reiterated William Samuel Johnson's argument for enabling the states to protect themselves, and Roger Sherman backed him up. In addition to helping create the Constitution's structure of federalism, the three contributed in other ways. Ellsworth and Johnson enlisted their vast legal knowledge to resolve several technical issues, such as how the Constitution would define treason. Sherman was one of the first to point out that the courts could strike down unconstitutional laws. He also made the motion for six-year terms for senators, although earlier he had suggested five years. And Sherman suggest, successfully proposed that if no presidential candidate received a majority of the Electoral College, a runoff election be held in the House of Representatives with each state casting one vote. After the convention, Ellsworth and Sherman both actively promoted the Constitution's ratification. Ellsworth explained the document in speeches at the Connecticut Ratifying Convention. 
He also wrote an influential series of pro-ratification essays using the name Landholder. Roger Sherman composed pro-ratification essays under, under the name Countryman. After a sufficient number of states had ratified the Constitution, the Connecticut legislature chose William Samuel Johnson and Oliver Ellsworth as its first U.S. Senators. Roger Sherman, meanwhile, won a statewide election to the House of Representatives. Johnson remained in the Senate from 1789 until 1791 when he departed to become president of Columbia University. Due to illness, he resigned the latter position in 1800. However, he recovered and went on to live for another 19 years, finally passing away on November 14, 1819, at the age of 92. Ellsworth continued in public service for his entire life. As a senator, he sponsored the Judiciary Act of 1789, which organized the federal court system. In 1796, President George Washington nominated him as the third Chief Justice of the United States. While he still was Chief Justice, President John Adams appointed Ellsworth as an emissary to France where he and two colleagues negotiated the end to America's undeclared naval war with France. Ellsworth resigned from the Supreme Court in 1800 for health reasons, but he too recovered. Once he had left the court, he was re-elected to the Connecticut Council continuously until his death on November 26, 1807. As for Roger Sherman, he was in Congress in 1789 when Representative James Madison introduced his Bill of Rights. It's unclear what Sherman's position on the Bill of Rights was, other, that, other than that he wanted it placed at the end of the Constitution rather than interleaved with the constitutional text as Madison initially favored. And of course, Congress adopted Sherman's suggestion. In 1985, James Hudson, the chief of the manuscript division in the Library of Congress found a draft of the Bill of Rights composed in Sherman's handwriting. As I point out in my book, The Original Constitution, the draft clarifies how the authors organized what became the first 10 amendments. Natural rights, such as speech and religion, were listed first, followed by certain cherished privileges or government created entitlements, such as trial by jury. When Johnson left the Senate in 1791, the Connecticut legislature elected Roger Sherman to replace him. But Sherman served only until March 1793 and died of typhoid fever on July 23, 1793. I'm Rob Nadelson, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode from the series, The Founders of the Constitution. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to like this in your podcast app and subscribe to be notified every time a new episode is released. For more information about the U.S. Constitution and this series, head over to thinkfreedom.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.